Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk for a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips, and I've got a busy show for you guys today. The hockey season is underway. We are a couple of weeks in, so I decided it was time to put together a hockey panel to get you up to date on everything in the National Hockey League. I will have two guests with me to break down the latest with the Rangers, Devils, Islanders, and some of the big storylines league-wide. That's coming up today. Show Me the Money is also back for week number seven. Had a rough week this week, and the picks went 0-3. I'm going to look to try and bounce back this week. At the end of the show, I'm going to talk about the Kelvin Benjamin situation in Buffalo. A strange situation pregame. I want to see how this goes. It's going to be very interesting. I have a hot take on it. And we're going to get all rolling with this week's opening tip, where I tell you exactly why the New York Giants went wrong right after this. Welcome back to this week's opening tip. This week, there was a lot of good football going on. The Jets had a great game. They got by the Colts. They won two in a row. Sam Darnold looked very good. The Steelers beat the Bengals. Controversial play at the end there with Antonio Brown scoring the touchdown. Should have been OPI. We don't know. They had a thriller last night in Foxborough as the Patriots win on a last-second field goal to knock the Chiefs in the ranks of the unbeaten. But there's not much good football being played in East Rutherford outside the Jets. And that's because the New York football giants have become a dumpster fire. A complete and utter mess. They were basically knocked out of the playoffs on Thursday night when they lost to the Philadelphia Eagles 34-13 at home. That game was not even close. The Eagles woke up from the Super Bowl hangover. They harassed Eli Manning all day. The Giants could not get anything going down the field. Saquon Barkley did his best, got over 200 yards from scrimmage in the game, but they were never in this contest. And now the Giants are 1-5. They are done, even in a week NFC East. The season is over for the New York Giants, and it's not even Halloween yet. Let that sink in for a second. In the weakest division in football, the New York Giants are dead and buried. How did we get here? I was so confident in this team going into the year, I took them as an over seven wins. They may not get four wins the way they're playing. And let me tell you something, this is not new for the Giants. Since the start of the 2013 season, we're going back now, the start of six years. The New York Giants are 34 and 53. 34 and 53 in five and just under a half years. That is Cleveland Browns' level of bad football. And I'm sick of hearing about how the Giants are a marquee franchise and how they do everything the right way and how they do everything perfectly. You don't put together that kind of record over five and a half years by doing everything the right way. You just don't. Their records over that span have not been good. There's been an awful lot of losing. Everybody knows that they went 3-13 and last year. Everybody knows about the 1-5 this start to this season. In 2016, the exception to everything, they went 11-5, and made the postseason, lost to the Packers in the first round. That was the game when Odell Beckham was on the boat, took the receivers out in the week before, went down to Miami for the trip, then had a couple of big drops against the Packers in that playoff game. Prior to that, back-to-back 6-10s in 15 and 14 and 13, they, were, they finished 7-9 and nine somehow despite starting 0-6. That's not a lot of great football in there. It just isn't. There have been a lot of problems with this franchise. Odell Beckham is the scapegoat right now. And everybody hates the fact that he took a shot at Eli Manning, took a shot at the passing game. And you know what? He has a part to play in this too. When you are paid as much as he is, you cannot be disappearing from the sideline with, two, with the final play of the second half, of the first half, excuse me, with your offense on the field. I don't care if you need an IV. That IV can wait three minutes for you to be on the field for that last play. You also can't be headbutting the fan or doing stupid stuff off the field, Odell has to grow up. Odell is also this team's most talented player. 
The Giants chose to invest that money in him, give him $95 million. Have to wonder if they regret that now. This disaster has been years in the making, mostly due to the incompetence of the previous regime, specifically Jerry Reese in the front office. Reese has wasted a ton of draft picks. The Giant roster got very thin, very fast, hence the bad, bad years at the end of the Coughlin era. When they let Coughlin go, they bring McAdoo in, they go on a big spending spree, bringing a bunch of veteran free agents to bolster up the roster. They make the playoffs, and they have a bad year the following year, and they're one of the worst teams in the league. Let me remind you of something. That 2016 team, the one that made the playoffs, the one that lost the Packers, the one that many people thought could make the Super Bowl the following year, that team was 8-3 and three in games side by a touchdown or less. 8-3. and three. Eight of their 11 wins were within seven points. You take three and put it in the other column, they're a 500 football team. The warning signs were there, but the Giants chose to ignore them. Now, it's not the first time this has happened to New York franchise. The Giants of 2016 are basically the same as what the Jets did in 2015. 2015, the Jets bring in a new general manager, bring in a new head coach. They have a boatload of cat space. They spend it on veterans to try and get better quick. They go 10-6, and six, miss the playoffs. The following year, there was an absolute disaster. They go 4-12, they go and 12, end up with a sixth pick in the draft. The Jets also were capped out at that point at a crossroads. Instead of trying to keep going with their current set of veterans and expire and older players, the Jets blew up the everything, cut pretty much every single guy who was making non-guaranteed money. Darrell Rivas left, Nick Mangold left, Eric Decker, David Harris left, Brandon Marshall was cut. Everyone left the building. They they bottomed out. They invested in young talent. And with the sixth pick again, made a great trade, got Sam Darnold in the draft thanks to some sheer luck and assists from the Giants. Now they have a young roster that has a lot of talent on it and $100 million in cash space next summer, next spring, excuse me. They will be in great shape to win with their franchise quarterback for the next several years. The Giants in a similar spot. Granted, different because you had Eli Manning on the roster. They decided to double down on their current roster. They spent a boatload of money on Nate Solder. That has not worked out. They spent a boatload of money on taking on the contract of Alec Ogletree from the Rams. And you have a valuable fourth-round pick in the process. Fourth-round picks become starters in this league. Giving one up for an aging linebacker may not fit the system was not a great idea. The Giants also let their fans influence their strategy, and that is never a good idea. This whole situation devolved late last year when Ben McAdoo decided to pull the plug on Eli's start streak to start Geno Smith. The fan base erupted. Mike Francesa was ripping McAdoo on the air on WFAN. Former Giants were threatening to protest on the sidelines because they were disgusted how the franchise treated Eli. What did the Giants do? They fire McAdoo. They fire Reese right there. Eli's a star for the rest of the year. Their fan reaction spooked the Giants so badly that they went out, and I feel like they deliberately looked for a guy who believed that they could win with Eli Manning. That guy was Dave Gelman. Gelman made it very clear that Eli was his quarterback, and as a result, he did everything he could to prop up Eli Manning. He invested in the line. Poorly, as it turns out, traded for Ogletree and made the possibly one of the biggest boneheaded moves in the franchise history of the Giants, taking Saquon Barkley at number two. Now, this is no indictment on Barkley. Barkley is a tremendous NFL player. The fact he's gotten over 100 yards of scrimmage in every one of the Giants' games, despite the fact that the line cannot block for him, he's getting hit in the backfield nearly every play. The fact he's done that is remarkable and shows that he can be wearing the gold jacket someday, like Gettleman said. But here's the problem. Using a a number two overall draft pick on a running back 
when you inherited a 3-13 and roster is the equivalent of buying yourself a Maserati when your roof needs to be repaired. That just does not work. You're meaning to tell me that the Giants felt that they were that close to winning that Saquon Barkley put them over the top? I don't see it. And their play on the field shows you that right now. Now, they do have Barkley, who's going to be a great player in the NFL. They still have Beckham. There's not much in the cupboard beyond that. And that's scary. Considering Eli Manning looks very, very old at this point. Manning is clearly taking a step back. He is not willing to stay in the pocket anymore long enough to get the ball down the field. That's why they've been checking the ball down so much to Barkley. That's not a sustainable winning strategy in this league. The Giants had it right there. They had a golden opportunity to pick up a key asset for their future and secure their franchise's future at the most important position in the National Football League, the quarterback spot. They chose not to do that. They passed on Darnold. Thank you from Jets fans everywhere. They passed on Josh Rosen. They passed on Josh Allen. All that for a 37-year-old quarterback on the way down. Now the Giants are 1-5, heading towards another top-five pick, a spot they never thought they'd reach again. And they're in there in a quarterback class that is nowhere near as good right now as the one that they passed on. You're telling me that you believe Justin Herbert from Oregon's the answer? Great. You can have him. Have fun trying to coach him up. You want the kid from Missouri? Have at him. But nothing is guaranteed in this league. The Giants had the rare opportunity to assure themselves that they could have a smooth transition from Eli to the next quarterback. They had a chance to go from, from Eli to Darnold. That very few teams get that. The Packers went from Favre to Rodgers. It's kept them winning for about 25 years. The Colts went from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. That does not always happen. The Giants had that chance, and they blew it, and they are going to regret it for years if they cannot get the right quarterback soon, especially with Darnold in that building, helping the Jets get back into contention. If Darnold ends up hoisting a trophy for gangrene, helping them win their first Super Bowl in 50 years, they are really going to regret it. All right, up next, we're going to talk a little hockey right after this. Zuccarello. Howden, Strider, and Zuccarello. Zuccarello, shot, they score! Brent Howden gets the goal! Sam, it was a fabulous goal. I mean, this is a fabulous goal. He ended up backhanding this through his legs, through the goaltender, to tie the game. Welcome back to the Just End the Suffering podcast. Hockey season's upon us, one of the greatest times of the year. I admit... My hockey now is a little lacking. I want to talk about it, though, so I got two people with me to help me talk about hockey. Joining me first is the great Pete Considori. Pete, how are you doing? That that adjective is inaccurate. I wouldn't say great, but thank you very much for the introduction. I appreciate it. Um, this should be a lot of fun. I usually don't get to talk hockey a lot on podcasts. It's usually like football, baseball, whatever, so glad to be here. Yeah, you were my first call. The other person I brought in here is Mary Omatika. Mary, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Mike? I am doing very well. Let's get it rolling. First, let's get one thing out there. We are all New York Rangers fans. Yes. Yes, I'm going to the game tomorrow. Picked oh up some gosh. tickets. So cheap because they're so bad. It's great. <laughs> I am so excited, but so, I digress. Pete, how'd you become a Ranger fan? Uh, you know, it was funny. So I actually grew up not really liking hockey. I My, my dad asked me if I wanted to play when I was younger. I said no. I guess I was afraid of falling. Um, I play now, which is hysterical. But, um, <laughs> yeah, not up until maybe college I started really following the Rangers, like, religiously and just ever since i've been a diehard hockey and ranger fan what about you mary what's your hockey origin story well for me so i have been a football and basketball fan for a really long time um and i actually went to undergrad in the south in lynchburg virginia and believe it or not but that's where i fell in love with hockey um liberty university that's where i went to school for undergrad they had a very large uh, sports program so they pretty much had everything and surprisingly in the south hockey was one of the biggest sports there and I remember going back to my freshman year the first weekend there they had a hockey game and I was like why is everyone at a hockey game right now it's like a Friday night what's everybody doing there so the next day I decided to check it out and 
ever since then, that's where I spent pretty much all of my weekends, Fridays and Saturdays, right up against the glass. And yeah, haven't looked back. <laughs> that's pr- that's pretty cool. I would. Have, it's hard to imagine just being in the South that they would be like hockey crazy and there's football going on. I know. I mean, football was big there too, but the hockey team definitely by far was more serious and a lot better. Yeah, my hockey origin story is actually I interned at ABC7 back in the spring of 2011. I Most time I was there in the winter and hockey season, so I was with a kid who was a Devils fan. He often took the Devils or Islanders games, so I kept getting the Ranger games, <laughs> and they were actually entertaining. Every game I watched seemed to have at least six goal scores. I was actually got into the sport that way, so it was mm-hmm. interesting. Then I picked up the Ranger love from there, so that's where I came in. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Let's Since I talk about the Rangers, let's start there. Last year... They blew up the team. The run ended. Now they're in the middle of a rebuild. Pete, did you agree with that choice to blow it up? Yeah, I think at this point in the Rangers franchise, Elaine Vigneault and the system that they were using wasn't working. They were going to the playoffs every year. They were getting cut short. 2014 went all the way to the Cup. But let's be honest, the Kings were on fire. That wasn't going to happen, that Cup. It just wasn't. The only reason why the Rangers won that one game was because the Kings wanted to win at home. I'm I'm completely convinced about that. (laughs) So... You know, they, they, they blow up the system. They bring in a new coach um, in David Quinn. Um, really good at teaching young uh, players. He comes from BU, Boston University, I believe. If it's Boston College, I apologize. Um, but I, I think it was the right move. It's going to be really tough to watch the Rangers. Like I said earlier, the tickets were cheap because they were not doing <laughs> so well. But, you know, we might be pleasantly surprised when things start to click. I mean, you have a lot of young um, players, Brett Howden, uh, Vinny Letary, you have Neil Pionk, Shattenkirk, even though he's not young and new, he's having a really rough time on the blue line for some reason this year. Um, he was hurt last year. So if everything starts to click and everyone buys into what Quinn is saying, we may see something happen like what the Capitals did last year where they had a really rough start and all of a sudden they started winning games and they just kept that momentum. Mary, from what you've seen this year, do you think Pete's right that they could overcome that rough start and get off and have a surprising year? You know, I I agree. I do think that they can overcome this rough start. Um, like all good things, it takes time to develop. And like Pete said, the Rangers are rebuilding. They had to literally start from scratch. And they have a lot of young new players. But um, with this new coach, David Quinn, he's literally the perfect person for this job because he spent the past five years doing exactly what the Rangers want him to do now, which is develop younger players. And we've got a lot of young guys with a lot of potential, so I definitely think that it's we're only, what, five, six games into the start of the season. I think that once they get used to playing with each other and get used to the feel of the season, everybody gets comfortable, then we'll definitely see them take off. One thing I want to throw out to both of you is the fact that Henrik Lundqvist, who's the king, the greatest goalie probably in – I don't know, I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn here, maybe one of the greatest <laughs> goalies in the history of the franchise – the fact that he's still here, the fact that he is 36, 37 years old, he's got a unmovable contract, and he chose to stay here during the rebuild. Pete, how do you feel about the fact that Lundqvist is still on the roster? I mean, I think it's great that he's loyal to the fan base. As a fan who's diehard that understands hockey, I wouldn't blame the Rangers to trade him. I'm going to be honest. I mean, at this point, what, what are we looking at? I mean, Lundqvist has maybe, what, two and a half years left in his career? Um, he's gotten injuries. Uh, Cam Talbot was a big thing in 2014. Uh, he really helped us get to the cup, and he helped when you know he was out. Georgiev looks really good too, so Lundqvist has that kind of backup. But if you're rebuilding the team, as much as Lundqvist is a star um, goalie, give Georgiev the start, trade Lundqvist, get some good players, because you can get a lot of talent for Lundqvist. You know, if you have a team that's really at the cuffs of trying to cuffs with trying to win the the Stanley Cup, and all they need is goaltending, Henrik Lundqvist is your guy. So I I love that he's still on the team. I love Henrik. I don't want to see him go, but I wouldn't blame the Rangers before the trade deadline. You if they see they're really doing really bad, say okay, um, either Lundqvist requests the trade because you say it's an unmovable contract, or he they just start starting Georgiev to see what they have because we can't just wait and have Lundqvist play all this time and you have prospect goalies just sitting on the bench and you don't know where you're going to have once he's gone. Yeah, what do you think about that, Mary? Would you would you deal Lundqvist now? Would you give him half the season? How long do you want, think they should hang on to him? You know, as a fan, Henrik Lundqvist isn't only my favorite hockey player and my favorite player for the Rangers, but he is one of the greatest athletes of all time. And I mean, Henrik Lundqvist was actually given the option. They asked him, do you want us to trade you? We can trade you. And he didn't want to be traded. He had um, a no-trade 
clause, I guess, in his contract. But that's the kind of player he is. He, out of all of the players on this team, he is so desperate and thirsty for a Stanley Cup. And he really wants one, but he doesn't want to be traded to just any team that he can just be the missing piece to. He wants to, to earn that win. And I think that I would like to see him win the Stanley Cup with the New York Rangers, and I think that he wants that too. So I think that if that's what he wants, then New York is a place for him to stay. Yeah, I mean, you look at him and you kind of compare him to Ovechkin. He was this great player, but he never had a cup. Mm -hmm. So it's like he was never... He was never immortalized as a cup winner. He was just a great player. I mean, think about it. If Ovechkin never won the cup, I'm not saying... For me, he's one of the greatest goal scorers to ever play the game. You know, even over Wayne Gretzky, and I can make that conversation go an hour about how I think Ovechkin's a better goal scorer than Wayne Gretzky, even though the numbers are so skewed. But... Lundqvist is another player that has never won the cup, but he's so great. So now he just needs that one thing to to verify his greatness almost because without the cup, they're just like, well, yeah, you're great, but you never won the cup, which mm-hmm. which to me is sounds – when you say it out loud, it sounds really ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at it, it's like, well, even like Carey Price, mm-hmm. right? He's a great goalie. Yeah. Canadians are garbage right mm-hmm. now. So you look at you look at Carey Price as, as lower. You know, it's, it's, always, it's always that. So – if he does get traded, if he puts a list together, because he has no trade clause, but I'm sure in that no trade clause it says if he wants to move, he's going to give a list, list of teams. teams. Right. I wouldn't doubt that if in a year or two he sees it's not going anywhere, he goes, look, I want to be loyal to New York, but I want to win a cup, and he goes to a team that is just missing that goaltending piece. Mm. You're kind of like Ray Bork back with the Avalanche. Got to trade the Avalanche. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's it's all about. Listen. You have you have cup teams. I mean, look at the gold, Golden Knights last year. Golden Knights had a chip on the shoulder, went all the way to the cup. Now half the roster is somewhere else. <laughs> it, it it just you never know what what's going to happen. So, you know, we'll we'll see. Rangers are not winning the cup anytime soon, but it's nice to see a rebuild. It's true. I think it just definitely takes a little bit of time. I mean, Henrik Lundqvist is what he's thirty six now. Yeah, he's getting older, but I don't think that there's necessarily a one or two year limit on his career I think especially with the way that he's been playing this season he looks a little bit more comfortable despite the one and four start um I think that just with a little bit more patience we'll see a lot more out of him and the New York Rangers and a better defense Mm. we need a better blue line to to compliment him oh that's a that's a must we know we talk about Hank a lot who what are the other some of the other guys you guys think could get traded after at the deadline let's say Longquist doesn't let them move him who else think could be on the move yeah. You can go first. I went first for the, all the other things. <laughs> well, Kevin Hayes, I think he just signed a one-year deal, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's been a great player for the Rangers, but after this, he might not stay with the team. No, I, I agree. I think Kevin Hayes, I think Matt Zuccarello is a is an interesting player to look at. Matt Zuccarello, not the youngest, not the oldest, obviously, not to say that he's old, but you can get a lot of trade value for him. He's really good. Mika Zibanejad is going to be in for the long haul. I think Chris Kreider is going to be a Ranger through and through. I can actually probably make the argument that he might be captain one day um, of the Rangers, as Chris Kreider is, just the way he is all about the team. Um, his injury last year really kind of scared him. He had a blood clot, and he just he's really appreciating the game more, and he's working hard, and he's He's actually been a good role model for the for the for the younger players like Howden and Letary. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Zuccarello, maybe even Fost. Fost is a nice, grinding, hardworking player. He doesn't have to be a top line guy. He has played some top line minutes on the Rangers too, because David Quinn's taking a look at him. But Fost, Zuccarello, um, maybe Hayes. Uh, I think Hayes. They're going to probably work something out to keep Hayes in New York because I think he's really valuable. He just needs to kind of find his game a little more. Um, so those are those are the guys to look at, I think. All right. The Rangers could get value from those guys, but at the same time, too, if you don't want to rush things, if you really want to develop this team, all of those guys that you just mentioned, Pete, would be great to keep on the roster to help develop the younger guys, maybe get them accustomed to the level of play. No, yeah. I agree. No, I agree. See, so, so she brings up a really good point, right? You want to try to bring the, this up. But on the other side, they can be good trade value for, let's say, a Braden point. Yeah. Right. You're trying to look. Tampa Bay Lightning have no money in cap. Like they've they've signed everyone. They signed McDonough to a ridiculous contract. It was like five <laughs> year, six four five million dollars. It was it was ridiculous. I'm like I don't know how they're going to resign Kucherov and all these people. Stamkos, Vasilevsky. You know all these people. So as much as I would love to see them stay because they are Rangers through and through. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a possibility to see someone leave by the trade deadline. If no one leaves, then I'm still happy. You know, yeah. I mean, what what she brought up was was perfect. You know, those are perfect guys to keep. It's not like you have this one guy. You know, 
Shattenkirk, as, as much as he's not playing well, he's a great blue line veteran, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at Zuccarello, he's a great winger veteran. Same thing with Kreider. Um, Zabenejad is becoming a center kind of veteran to help players. So, you know, if we keep all of them, great. But I wouldn't be surprised to see someone moved. All right, I'm sure we could talk to the Rangers for another two hours if we wanted to. We but, <laughs> but let's go on some of the other teams in the area. Let's go to the Islanders. Mary, how do you think they're going to deal with losing John Tavares over the summer? You know, the Islanders are such they're such an interesting team. I think that over this past offseason, they had a lot of big moves. John Tavares out. They brought in Barry Trotz. They got Lou Lamorello. So I feel like the Islanders are a really, really hungry team. I feel like the move of, of sending uh, Johnny T to, uh, to the Maple Leafs, I feel like if anything, it lit a fire uh, under not only the fans, but the players. Um, you've got Barry Trotz, who's fresh off a Stanley Cup win. And if anything, once you taste the cup, you want another one. So I feel like this is a really, really hungry team. And yeah, so what? They got rid of John Tavares, but guess who they've got? Matt Barzal, Anders Lee, two great, great players. Um, and as I mentioned before, getting rid of Johnny T, yes, that was a big deal. He was the face of the franchise, but right behind him was was Matt Barzell, the Calder Trophy winner, who had 85 points last season, which was one more than John Tavares had. So I think that they're they're also uh, in a semi-rebuilding state, but they're a team that's really, really hungry for the Stanley Cup this year. Yeah, I trust Lou Lamoureux to build any hockey team. He's shown it throughout his tenure. He built the, the Devils out the three cups. He built the Maple Leafs up. I feel like he's in, they're in great shape with him. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna blow this up a little bit. And you're all gonna be mad at me. I'm really glad Mary brought up Barry Trotz because Barry Trotz, everything she said was correct. He's just coming off a Stanley Cup. He's coming off a administration not offering him a contract extension or a re signing until they saw what he did. Yeah. Just think about that. Mm-hmm. Think about you saying, well, we're not going to resign because we don't really believe in you, but then you go and win the cup. He did the perfect thing. No, nah, I'm not resigning with you. I'm going to a different team that actually wants me. Yeah. He wants to show the Capitals that it doesn't matter what the roster is. I have a great ros- roster on the uh, – well, I don't want to say on the island because they're in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn right now, so I'm going to make that team work. Now, the other thing I'm going to say that's going to blow all this up is I don't think <laughs> Matt Barzal is what everyone thinks he is. Really? And the reason why I say that is because if Brock Besser did not get hurt, he was winning the Calder last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He absolutely was for the Canucks. That doesn't discredit what Barzal did last year. But remember, Barzal was playing with Tavares. True. Just like Panarin was playing with Kane. Now, Panarin's still good on the Columbus Blue Jackets, but he's not putting up the numbers he did when he played with Kane on that first line. True. Or second line, wherever they're playing, right? So... As much as a stud Matt Barzal is in the league and how I think he's going to be great, I think this whole boy who won the Calder thing and Anders Lee being named new captain, I think all that pressure is really going to hinder him on top of not having John Tavares. Um, I don't think losing John Tavares is the worst thing for the Islanders. You know, he wants to win a cup. He's kind of tired. Garth Snow really just didn't do a good job as a general manager, so I get why he left. But I really don't think Matt Barzal is like, the savior of the franchise like everyone else is making him. Is he a great player? Yeah, but I think everyone forgets that if Brock Besser didn't get hurt, the kid wasn't winning the Calder at all. Mm -hmm. You're right. He did have uh, John Tavares on his side to help him with all those points, but I think, too, with Barry Trotz, he has so much experience. He's been in the NHL for so long, and I think that he'll really help to develop Matt Barzell, who's probably out of his comfort zone right now. So I think he'll definitely be an interesting player to watch as the season continues. All right, let's go to the Devils for a minute. People forget that the MVP of the National Hockey League actually played in New Jersey last year. Taylor Hall had an outstanding year. How do you think he's going to follow up on that campaign, Pete? So with the New Jersey Devils, I think it's the same thing, kind of like the Islanders. I'm going to take this standpoint. If Taylor Hall doesn't do well, I don't think the Devils do well. You have you have everything up in the air when it comes to goalies. Kincaid's on fire. So I think Kincaid is definitely a great backup to Schneider, but Schneider just had hip surgery. He's not in a rush to come back as they know Kincaid's doing the job. But once Schneider comes back, now you're starting to see, well, who should have that starting job? And I don't think Schneider's going to want to sit on the bench. Maybe you see a trade. Who knows? But I think, you know, Palmieri's been doing well. I think that the Devils have the res- have my respect in the sense that they can make the playoffs and they are a playoff team. I just don't see if Taylor Hall doesn't have the year he does. I don't see that he had last year. I don't see them doing anything because if you if you looked at Taylor Hall and then the next guy behind him when he came to points, it was like a 30-point difference about how many points the top guy and the second top guy in the Devils was. So 
if they don't get their act together and start playing as a team and really making the other team feel like wow they're 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 all over us I don't I really don't think the Devils are going to do much because again it's all on the back of Taylor Hall it's on the back of one maybe two players yeah and that whole division is loaded I mean you got, oh yeah you got them you got you got Columbus the East is beast the, the East. everyone Penguins yeah. Columbus Toronto Ottawa you don't have to worry about Capitals it. Boston Capitals mm. Tampa Bay I mean I want to be in the West right now. I'd want to play in the West because aside from the six teams that usually do well in the West, there's really nothing else going on out there. Yeah, speaking of the West, let's talk about the Vegas Golden Knights for a second. They obviously shocked the entire world. They took the expansion roster and made the Cup last year. What do you guys think they're going to do in year number two? Mary, I'll go to you first. You know, I feel like they made a couple of moves in the offseason that I didn't see coming, um, but – at the same time, I didn't even see the Vegas Golden Knights going to the Stanley Cup final last year. So whatever happens, I think that it will be great for the sport of hockey. It will be great for Vegas, and we'll see. Yeah, so I actually called them going to the playoffs before the season started on my show at Fantasy. <laughs> so, and no one believed me. I was like, all right, don't believe me. So the Vegas Golden Knights all playing with a chip on their shoulder. But this year they have some problems. Nate Schmidt's out in suspension for 20 games because of PED use. Um, you know, you have Max Pacioretty in there. You have Statsny. Statsny, I believe, is injured too. Um, Max Pacioretty, as much as I love the guy, I don't think he's going to be producing like he did back in the old days with the Canadians. Mm -hmm. um, he's just been in a slump. The change of scenery is definitely going to help him. You'll see a spike in his numbers. I just don't think it's going to be the numbers we usually see from Max Pacioretty, unfortunately. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury, again, a great goaltender, brick wall at times. He really knows how to play under pressure. He had that veteran presence, and he kept them in the playoffs up until the Stanley Cup. I mean, you saw the Vegas Golden Knights make some mistakes, and 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 he kind of bailed them out. So, I, you know, are they a playoff team? Maybe, but I do not think at all that they're going to the Stanley Cup again, especially because Carlson is the, is on the Sharks now. Just to move forward in the break in the in the rundown you sent, I think the Sharks are a huge contender for the Cup this year. Yeah, I, I promised my friend who listens to this podcast, big Toronto Maple Leaf fan, believe it or not. Oh. He's a strange like selection of teams. He roots for the Yankees, the Indianapolis Colts, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Toronto oh, Maple Leafs. He's all over the place. Yeah, he literally is like across the continent. Of the, the Pick continent. a section of the country. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so they get the biggest move of the offseason. They get Tavares. Do you think, Mary, that he's going to be the difference between them getting finally breaking through and getting to a cup final? I don't think that he'll be the difference. Um I'm not 100% convinced that the Toronto Maple Leafs will make a cup final just because they've got Johnny T. They have Austin Matthews. He's a great player. John Tavares will be a, is a great addition, but I don't know. I think the Leafs are still the Leafs. They're going to choke at some point. It's, it's a good point. Now, I'm going to go by a hockey player standpoint. I play men's league. Not even close to NHL. Can't even compare. <laughs> but when you play in – men's league there is a huge difference between your first line and your second line usually you get your best five guys out there at first and then everything kind of trickles down with the toronto maple leafs and that kind of happens in the nhl too don't get me wrong the people that are on the third and fourth lines are still phenomenal players it's just they they don't belong on the first and second line but i digress toronto maple leafs have austin matthews john Tavares, mitch marner if william nylander signs william nylander you have frederick aronson aronson and net the only problem the Leafs have right now is a blue line. Now, the rumor that I heard, not rumor, maybe a theory, is that Nylander gets traded for some defense. Now, that's not a bad idea because they're doing fine without Nylander. Now, let's talk about defenses. You have a first-line D pairing, a second-line, and a third-line. Sometimes a team will roll with 7-D, so that gets a little bit confusing. But for the most part, you got six D-men, one, two, and three lines. Perfect. Boom. Who do you cover? You got Austin Matthews on the first line. You got John Tavares on the second line. You got Nazem Kadri on the third line. Who do you cover? And I think that maybe the Toronto Maple Leafs don't win the cup this year. Maybe they don't make the cup this year. But it's going to be a real hindrance on other teams to try to figure out, well, what do we do? Because if it's not Austin Matthews, we got to worry about John Tavares. If it's not John Tavares, we got to worry about Nazem Kadri. Plus the wingers all around. And the fourth line, I, I you know, I can't say I know the fourth line players for the Leafs because I don't. But... It looks like a, a real good recipe to make the cup final. Yeah, I agree. Real quick, give me a sleeper team that people are not really talking about that you think can make a run in the playoffs. Carolina Hurricanes. Carolina Hurricanes have been on fire. Justin Williams, the new captain there. Um, you have um, – what else? You have uh, – 
Sebastian Ajo was just a beast. You have Martin Nuke, who's a new guy on there. I mean, just it. Honestly, look out for the, the Carolina Hurricanes. That's my sleeper. All right, this may su- this may surprise you, so buckle up. I'm gonna guess the Calgary Flames. Hmm. I feel like they like made that. a couple of big moves in the offseason. I was surprised when they uh, pulled James Neal away from Vegas. They so. didn't pull him. He wanted to go. <laughs> <laughs> So, I don't know. They're going to be an exciting team to That's watch. That's a really good three pick. And two, so. That's a really good pick. <laughs> Plus, they're in the West, as Pete pointed out. that The West is not very stable, so there's room yeah. for teams like Calgary to make that jump. So, very True. good pick, Mary. Yeah. I like that. All right. Last thing. Calgary like- Leafs. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it for the Stanley Cup. <laughs> that would make the country of Canada very, very happy to get two Canadian teams in there for Man, the first time listen. in forever. <laughs> That'd be nuts. Yeah. All right. Since you brought up Cup Finals, you guys want to give me a Cup Finals prediction. I don't care who goes first. <laughs> Go ahead, Mary. Um, hmm, let's see. I'm going to go Caps, Capitals, Sharks. See, I, I like the Sharks. Now, the only thing I'm, I'm worried about the Sharks is that they're really not looking so hot on defense because I think Eric Carlson's still trying to get the new team jitters out of the way. But I like the Sharks, but I'm going to say the Maple Leafs. I think the Maple Leafs surprise a lot of people. I think teams are not going to know what to do because they only have – top three top defensemen you know working so i uh, you know i think it's going to be leafs i think the sharks ultimately come out with the stanley cup if anything but yeah 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 my pick my pick i'm gonna go with and great i have the least knowledge of the three people on this table so i'm gonna <laughs> i'm just gonna throw it out there i'm gonna say the penguins are gonna get back there i feel like they're oh, i'm so I'm, tired of the penguins <laughs> man. I, am, I am too but i feel like they're kind of like the warriors in the nba where like they're just so good that they're gonna get they don't there have so often. they mm-hmm. don't have goaltending but listen yeah. I don't. I don't blame you for picking the Penguins. Yeah. The Penguins. Look, Sidney Crosby of Game Malkin. You, you mm. can put a traffic cone in that. It doesn't matter. They're going to score. <laughs> so I like that. Who you got for the West? Nashville. I think they. Nash- have, you think they finally do it? Nashville. I think they finally do it. I think they have they enough got a talent. Good team. There. I got enough talent there. I think Subban's going to have a huge year. I think that this team is just primed to take that next step and get to the Cup final. I yeah. think. I think they actually win it this year. You think? Uh, you think Subban has a big year, even though he made the uh, NHL cover? You don't think there's a Madden curse for the <laughs> NHL? I'm not going to buy it. The Madden curse is its own <laughs> unique entity. I do not buy the Matt. The yeah, uh, listen. All right. Thanks again for coming on. Before we go, guys, I don't give any social media. Anyway, keep up with you guys. Pete, you want to go first? I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at PJConsidori29, C-O-N-S-A-D-O-R-I. Follow me on Instagram if you want, PeterJ392. There's really nothing there. But, yeah, no. Yeah, follow me if you want. Yeah, I do follow Pete. He is a great follow. I highly recommend it. Mary, how about you? you want to sh- Mary Boberry XO. Follow me on Twitter. Hang on, wait. Say that again. <laughs> Mary Boberry XO. I thought that's what I heard. Okay. B E R R Y X O. All right. <laughs> Thanks both of you for the coming on the podcast. I much, very much appreciate it. Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank you, man. It was, it was fun. No problem, guys. I'm glad they got the hockey panel. Maybe we'll come back together again someday if the Rangers are actually doing something interesting in March. <laughs> we'll see about that. But up next. Show me the money, NFL picks, week number seven, coming up right after this. Show me the money. All right, and we're back. Show me the money, week number seven, NFL picks coming up. Joining me today is my good old friend, Phil Lombardo. Phil, how are you doing today? Mike, doing great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Not a problem, man. For people who are listening to you for the first time, what kind of fan are you? I am a uh, diehard New York Giants fan. How did you become a Giants fan? Um, Well, didn't really have a choice. My uh, father brought me to a Giants-Browns preseason game in 95. Got to see uh, the infamous Dave Brown play quarterback. They weren't such a good team back then, but then we got season tickets two years later, and I was hooked. Hey, that's a good reason to get hooked. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, they're having off to a rough start this year, 1-5, got whacked by the Eagles Thursday night. The big question, every Giant fan, every Giant fan's mind, the one I'm going to ask to you, did they make a mistake taking Saquon Barkley a two instead of a franchise quarterback, potentially? Yeah, well, this is the, uh, the golden question, something that I don't think we can – positively answer right now but I'll start out by saying this I wanted Sam Darnold from the start I wanted a quarterback I didn't really like some of the quarterbacks that were coming out this year I thought that the draft crest was a little overrated but I wanted Sam Darnold I thought he had a really great attitude and he was perfect for New York 
Um, and this is not to take shots at the other guys. I think this is one of the most talented quarterback classes we'll see in our lifetime. But um, I think it was silly for the Giants at number two to pass up on the chance to groom one of those guys into their next franchise QB, especially with, you know, the hiring of Pat Shermer, who's supposed to be this quarterback guru. But, you know, we heard that with Ben McAdoo, too, and we saw how that worked out. Um, it also doesn't help out that Eli looks to be about a half a second behind on all of his reads this season, and it was evident on Thursday I was at the game, and he was just, you know, he just seemed like he was a half step behind on every single read he made. Um, and, you know, he's a little jaded by the protection he's getting, which I think is causing him down to check down a lot more this season than he should be, which, you know, has been causing some frustration among Odell and other receivers on the team. But, I mean, it's, you know, there's, it's a mess right now, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's tough watch, Tough to watch them play now. I mean, they've, what, 4-19 and 19 since Odell took the guys in the boat? Yeah, people like uh, like throwing that stat out there. I mean, obviously, I think the boat thing was a little silly. I don't think that should have been done in the first place. I obviously don't think it has anything to do with the next couple seasons. But um, I just want to, you know, get a, go on record by saying, you know, there's no denying that Saquon Barkley is quite possibly the most complete running back I've ever seen in my lifetime and maybe anybody's ever seen. Um, you know, he has qualities of Walter Payton, Emmett Smith, Adrian Peterson, Barry Sanders, some of the all-time greats. And his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield is rivaled by very few, even in a league that a lot of guys have that skill set right now. Um, you know, but as you stated actually in an article earlier this week, um, and I, I actually heard it from a multiple guys on the radio this week as well, the Giants drafting Barkley is the equivalent of buying a Porsche 911 when you don't have a place to live. Yeah, you just can't do that. I mean, I you you know what me as a Jet fan, like I've been dying to get a quarterback for the forever and now thanks to you guys, we finally have one. Yeah, and that makes it sting a little more because if, if Darnold ends up being the guy, it's something that, you know, it's kind of silly the Giants passed up on him and we gave him to our our brothers over at uh uh Flourish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I said at the top of the podcast, I want I personally thank the Giants for that because, I mean, I've been dying for good quarterback play, and he looks like he's going to be very good. Yes, and I, I will say this, you know, um, the jury's still out on the move, in my opinion. Barkley provides a dynamic that, you know, maybe only a couple other guys in the league have. And if the Giants are able to get a quarterback in this draft or next and he ends up producing and being that franchise quarterback, we're not going to be talking about this for much longer you know it's going to be a one season thing where to be like hey you know maybe Darnold was a great quarterback but we got our guy so it doesn't really matter and it would be an added bonus that we have Barkley but you know obviously the jury's still out on that I think it's going to be two three years before we can truly say this was the wrong book yeah that, that discussion of who their quarterback is going to be in the future that's something we could talk about for a while but let's move on to the immediate future the next game they're playing Atlanta in Atlanta on Monday night against that banged up Falcon defense you think they can bounce back and win this game? Um, you know, I'm going to be real with you. I, I've been obviously I've been watching every game closely. I'm not expecting too much different from the Giants on Monday night. I, uh, I know the Falcons are struggling themselves. They have a ton of injuries. I mean, Deion Jones, Keanu Neal, like they have a, you know, two of their key defenders. I know that Desmond Trufant was been has been hobbled and he might not be 100. Um, but I haven't seen anything from the Giants really to tell me that they're going to win this football game. I mean, let's you know, let's be realistic. It's great to have Olivier Vernon back. He's going to provide a much needed boost in our pass rush. And if Evan Ingram's available to suit up, that's still we still don't know he's questionable for this week. Um, he'll definitely provide some much needed size and stability in the middle of the field. But like I said before, Eli looks his age, and outside of about a quarter of the Carolina game, he hasn't been able to push the ball downfield at all and I am worried that it's going to be the same case even against a hobbled Atlanta defense. Yeah, that's going to be, a, that's going to be interesting to watch this week. Let's move on to the picks to reset where we are last week. Our good friend Dandy Martini dropped by to make picks with me. The two of us were dreadful. We went a combined 1-5 and five on the week, and the one win came from Dan. Well, you know what? Let's see if I can uh, improve on last week then. Yeah, last week, Dan got lucky on the Wednesday line. He had the Texans minus one because the line hadn't shifted yet to account for Watson. He got that right. Lost on the Packers, minus nine and a half. They barely got by those 49ers Monday night. And he also took the Titans plus three against the Ravens, and the Ravens absolutely crushed them. I, on the other hand, 
I went 0-3. I took your Giants last week. I took them to cover the three points with the Eagles, and they were a disaster. That was a popular pick that a lot of people got wrong. That line actually moved to minus one um, right before game time, and a lot of people got burned. Yeah, I was one of the many. I thought I got fooled by the end of the Carolina game, so that was one I got wrong. I got I lost in the Patriots, minus three and a half. They only won by three, so that half point got me. And then I got Osweiler because I had the Bears minus three, and I didn't expect Brock Osweiler to throw for 380 yards against the Chicago defense. I don't think anybody did. <laughs> yeah, if you're out there and you expected that to happen, you should go play the Mega right now. Yeah, you should all probably buy a Mega Millions too. All right. Let's see. On the year, the challengers are still a good 11, 6, and 1. I am 8 and 10. Hopefully you have to try get back on track this week. Phil, since you are the guest, you may pick first. All righty. So the uh, the first game I decided to go with is uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are minus 6.5 home against Cincinnati. Um, and I, I'm picking the Chiefs here only because, you know, Cincinnati's given up 300 yards passing in four of the last six. So four of their six games this season. And Patrick Mahomes is thrown for 300-plus yards in five straight. So it's kind of looking like he's going to have an easy time getting the ball down the field. And Kansas City, 215 points through six games at 35.8 a clip. It's pretty um, hard to bet against them, especially when they're less than a touchdown favorite. Yeah, and um, I – go ahead, sorry. No, I mean, it's just hard to have faith in a Cincinnati team that's struggled to be consistent under Marvin Lewis, you know? Yeah, I get that. I mean – that team last week, the fact they managed to blow that game against Pittsburgh, I could easily see them having a big letdown on Sunday night. Yeah, it's just, you know, same old Cincinnati in my eyes. You know, they, they fool you a few games with some great, good gutty, gutsy performances, and then they go and do that. Yeah, okay, so you have your first pick, the Chiefs minus 6.5 at home against Cincinnati. Where are you going next? All right, so I'm going to go with uh, the team that burned you last week, except they're only minus 3 this week, New England at Chicago. So, I mean, Chicago is uh, coming off a tough loss as well. Uh, they blew a game against Miami that I didn't think they should have. And they've been getting off to a hot start under Matt Nagy in his first year. And this is going to be a big test. And I think it's going to show us that they still have, you know, a year or two to go before they're a true Super Bowl contender. I think they're headed in the right direction. But, you know, the Patriots really finally hit their stride this week. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's obviously, you know, the last three weeks, really, they're averaging close to 40 points a game. And, you know, they get Julian Edelman back, you add Josh Gordon, and Sony Michelle, who I loved coming out of the draft, really looks like he's a uh, two to three bound runner and uh, something the Patriots haven't really had in a while. And I think, you know, along with James White and a couple other weapons, you know, it's just going to give them even more stability on offense. And, um, I mean, not to say you don't love what you've seen from Mitchell Trubisky in his second season. I think he's been, you know, pretty fantastic for the most part. But um, you can't overlook the fact that Khalil Mack might not play. He's questionable ankle injury. As, as a DN linebacker hybrid, an ankle could be something that, you know, you really got to look into. You don't want to rush him back. Oh, yeah, 100%. The, the Mack injury is a big problem. Plus, I feel like right now the Patriots are just starting their takeoff where – Everybody tries to leave them for a dead September, then they're gonna go off and finish twelve and four, thirteen and three anyway, and win and win home field. Yeah, no, exactly. They seem to do this every year. They they use their first four games of the season as a uh, second preseason, and then they really get rolling after that. Okay, so where are you going with your final pick of the week? All right, I'm. I was looking over at uh, LA. I'm gonna go across the country here and uh, got the Chargers minus six and a half versus Tennessee. Obviously, you can't really like what you saw from Tennessee last week, giving up 11 sacks to the Baltimore Ravens, and that's only one shy of my New York Giants. I don't know if you remember, but uh, assuming you are seven sacks against Winston Justice, how could you forget that? Um, just wanted to throw that little plug in there for my Giants, at least something positive to remember. Oh, you have to. Um, I really, really like this uh, Chargers defense. I know that Joey Bose is hurt, but uh, they still have a lot of weapons on defense, and I – Derwin James is looking like he's a special talent. I think he's going to be the next Ed Reed type, something that we haven't seen in quite a while. Just super versatile, 36 tackles already, an interception and three and a half sacks through six games. And he's really kind of brought that whole defense together. Um, Phillip Rivers is actually quietly having one of his best starts of the season, 15 touchdowns, three interceptions, and completing 68% of his throws. 
So, I mean, having Mike Williams, Terrell Williams, and Keenan Allen healthy, along with um, Antonio Gates and Virgil Green, has actually emerged a nice little weapon for um, It's really looking like they are formidable. And obviously, Melvin Gordon, you just, I feel like he gets better every season. And this year, he's scoring uh, at a tremendous clip. Um, and then, obviously, on the Titans side, without Delaney Walker and with Corey Davis not really proven to be a reliable number one, Mariota kind of look lost, and you can see him kind of dancing around the pocket. He doesn't really look sure of himself when he's looking downfield. And obviously, Derrick Henry's been a bit of a disappointment. Um, Deion Lewis is not a three-down back, so I just can't see Tennessee keeping up with the scoring of Los Angeles, especially with that defense that the Chargers are putting on the field. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting theory there. The, th- the thing I wanted to ask you about is, like, does the fact that the game is in London bother you? Um, not at all. Um, if anything, I think that, the, you know, th- they've been doing the games in London for a while now, and uh, I think that the, at least the grounds crew has learned how to keep it away from what we used to see, which is crazy mud. You know, I don't know if you remember that Giants Dolphins game. That was one of the first London games that the NFL had, and that was an absolute mess. You couldn't, you couldn't do anything. The game ended up being about 13-10, and Eli ran a 13-yard touchdown in, and it looked like he was walking in the quicksand. <laughs> All right, so those are your picks. I'm going to go to me. Pick number one, I am going against my team. I am taking the Minnesota Vikings, laying three at the Meadowlands against the Jets. I'm very impressed how the Jets have played the last two weeks, but I do not like this matchup at all. That Vikings D is great. The Jets are getting really banged up. They have three guys injured in the secondary. We know Marcus May is not playing. Jermaine Johnson and Buster Screen did not practice today. And you cannot be down three defensive backs against Cousins, Diggs, and Thielen. I feel like the Vikings are going to win this game by at least a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I actually, you know, the Jets have looked pretty good the last uh, two weeks. Darnold is really coming into his own, but um, and I can't say I disagree with you there. Yeah, it's tough because I hate to pick against my team, but it just seems like so obvious this week that they're going to lose this game. Yeah. All right. My second pick of the week, I am going with the New Orleans Saints getting two and a half going on the road to Baltimore. I don't understand why the Ravens are favoring this football game. I get they're at home. I get they had a big defensive effort, but the Saints are one of the most complete teams in this league. Drew Brees is having a phenomenal year. I mean, and yes, Baltimore's defense is formidable, but the Saints have a good line, and the best way to stop a pass rush is to run the football. The Saints can do that with Ingram and Kamara. They can control the clock. I feel like the Raven offense is very hit or miss. Joe Flacco is, had a decent game last week. I think he's going to have a bad game this week. I feel like the Saints are going to ball hawk in the secondary. I feel like they're going to come in there and win that game. Yeah, I agree with you. I also love the added wrinkle they have with uh, the former quarterback at a BYU, Taysom Hill. I think he's a, uh, one of those kind of guys you can, you can throw in there and really throw a defense off, especially an aggressive defense like the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a role that I thought like Tebow would have when he was on the Jets, but they didn't use him that way for some stupid reason. Yeah, I think I think he has a little more athleticism than Tebow, but I definitely do agree that they could have used him in that fashion. All right. My final pick of the week, I'm going with a team that's gotten killed the last two weeks, but I think they're going to bounce back coming home. We're taking the Jaguars, minus four and a half at home against the Houston Texans. This is mostly an anti-Texan pick because the more I've watched them the, two, the last two weeks, the more terrified I am for my fantasy season because – I mean, Deshaun Watson owner in our league. Deshaun Watson is going to die behind that offensive line. They cannot block him. Got sacked seven times against Buffalo last week. Man, he still took a bunch of hits. Now he gets an angry Saxonville at home. Reeling after they got outscored 70-21 the last two weeks. They're going to start hurting on the Texans. I feel like their defense is a little overrated, Houston. So I feel like Bortles and company are going to put enough points on the board. They're going to win by at least seven. Yeah, Jacksonville's been a little bit of an enigma this year, but... um... You know, the way Bortles is gone, he has, you know, a couple bad games, and then he puts up like this one when you're like, where is this guy coming from? And obviously that defense is better than they've played the last two weeks, so you got to expect him to bounce back. Absolutely. To reset the picks, Phil has gone with the L.A. Chargers, minus 6.5 in London against the Tennessee Titans. He has taken New England Patriots, minus 3 in Chicago to take down the Bears for their second straight loss. And he has also gone with – refresh me on your third one, I'm sorry. Oh, Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City, minus 6.5 at home against the Bengals. My picks, I have gone with the New Orleans Saints, plus 2.5 in Baltimore. A, rare, a road dog 
I'm going with the Vikings, minus three at, in the MetLife against the New York Jets. And my final pick of the week, the Jacksonville Jaguars, minus four and a half against Houston. Phil, thanks for coming by. Thanks a lot for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. That was your picks for week number seven. Show me the money. Up next, why Kelvin Benjamin should be released by the Buffalo Bills for his stunt over the weekend. All about that right after this. Welcome back to this week's two-minute drill. Now, before we get into it, I want to set up how I found this story. So, over the weekend, went on a little road trip, went to Cooperstown, saw the Hall of Fame, had a lot of fun. Going home Sunday morning, I go on Twitter, and you check us out my fantasy players, particularly Dalvin Cook. While I'm scrolling through my tweets, I see this, this tweet from Jenna Cottrell, who covers the Buffalo Bills for ABC 13 in Rochester. Cottrell reports that Josh Allen asked wideout Kelvin Benjamin to run routes prior to the game. Benjamin said no. Are you kidding me? Every other receiver on that team ran routes with Allen. But Benjamin decided he was too good for that. Just in case, just because I was curious, I decided to go look up Benjamin's numbers. I figured, you know what? Maybe he's not feeling well. Maybe they're doing so well together that maybe he felt he didn't need to run the routes. Going into that game, Benjamin had eight catches for 103 yards and a touchdown on the year. On the year, eight for 103. You're meaning to tell me that you did not feel the need to help your young quarterback get better. That's outrageous. In the game, he went two catches, 43 yards, was the target of the deciding pick six from Nate Peterman and gave absolutely no effort to make that tackle. After the game, he was asked by reporters why he didn't work out at Allen prior to the game. Benjamin said he wanted to conserve his energy to come back in, get an IV, and get ready for the game. He stole the IV line from Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, come on now. This guy, point blank, is a losing football player. When he got hurt in 2015 for the Carolina Panthers, they went to the Super Bowl. He came back the next year. They missed the playoffs. Last year, they started the year 5-3, and three, dumped him on the bills at the trade deadline. They went 6-2, and two, made the playoffs. Here they are again, right in the mix to get back there. This guy is a losing football player. And I have, do not understand how the Bills coaching staff, if they heard about this, decided to let him play the game. If this is my team, that guy never plays another snap for me again. You are not better than the franchise quarterback. If the franchise quarterback wants to put in extra work to try and help you win the game, which is part of your job description, you do it. I don't care if you need an IV. I don't care if you're not feeling well. You are being paid to play professional football. You need to act like it. This kind of behavior is pathetic. It shows why the Bills are a losing team, employing guys like this. And can you imagine for a second if he tried pulling that garbage on Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning? You might have had a fight in the locker room. Benjamin thinks because he's a five-year veteran and he's playing with a rookie that he could tell the rookie to, to basically shove it. Forget him. The Bills need to cut him. And I would not touch him with a 10-foot pole if I was a team that planned on winning anytime soon. And that will do it for today's show. I want to thank my guests, Pete Considori and Mary Omatiga, for coming by to talk NHL hockey. I also want to give a thanks to Phil Lombardo for making NFL picks in Week 7 of Show Me the Money. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including a deeper look into the end of the Eli Manning era, be sure to check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes by searching for Just End the Suffering in the podcast store. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings or to help make the podcast even better in the future. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet at me with the hashtag EastIsBeast if you made it to the end of today's show. Be sure you're locked in next week 
We're going to have a little World Series talk on the podcast. We're also going to take a look into what the Yankees have to do to get back to the World Series in the offseason. That, picks, and more next week. Until then, I hope you have a better week than 49er fans. (laughs) 